podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In America, it's estimated that 4% of people in prison are actually innocent. When I saw them for the very first time, like I knew who my jury would be doing trial. To be honest, I knew I lost them. In 2002, the state of Georgia found Kerry guilty for his alleged involvement in a vicious rape. Only a small percentage of those people had their convictions overturned. You know, as one great justice said uh, many years ago, we don't find our witnesses from church pews. What series of events led to Kerry's wrongful conviction? Could this happen to anyone? What finally convinced the courts to overturn his conviction? From Zapier, in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project, this is The 4%. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or visit zapier.com forward slash resources forward slash podcasts to learn more. Hello everyone, welcome to the second away set of the season on the Gallagher Shots YouTube channel. Newcastle got off to quite a solid start, didn't they? 2-0 win at the London Stadium against West Ham in probably what is going to be the easiest game of the season, so we just need to hold our horses slightly, I think. Um, second game up is a team who are improving seemingly every year, and I think this will be a tricky one, but as we will discuss, it is statistically the worst fixture in English football. Um, to discuss this game, we are joined by Scott from We Are Brighton. Scott, thanks for coming on. Hello, thanks for having me. No, no problem. Uh, I watched your first game uh, and I thought you were the better team against Chelsea. Um, I think it's probably a good place to start with Brighton because I think you you look quite good, didn't you? Yeah, it's it's the same old story, really. We we keep the ball well, we create plenty of opportunities, but we just we don't have anyone to put the ball in the back of the net. And that is ultimately the problem. If, if we had a striker who was clinical, I mean, Neil Moore does his best, Aaron Conley works hard, but... They squandered so many opportunities. If we had a, you know, a younger version of Glenn Murray, effectively, then we could easily be, I'd say, challenging for the for the top ten. It's amazing you've triggered me already in the first forty seconds by mentioning Glenn Murray because the amount of <laughs> the amount of penalties he scored in that championship season just used to wind me up so much. But yeah, I think uh, I think I've seen a few Brighton fans kind of saying. Now, under Potter, you seem to be one of the better teams in the league at controlling the possession, but then you'll just do something stupid like pass the ball to Timo Werner to win a penalty. Yeah, Is... I, that, I mean, that also happens on a regular basis. Uh, we just, we shoot ourselves on, in the foot on so many occasions. <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, Monday night was the perfect example, wasn't it? Started really well, playing really well, in control of the game against the Chelsea side who have spent you know, £200 million pounds on attacking reinforcements. And then we're, we're trying to play out from the back, which is fair enough. You know, people want to do that. People want to see it. There's a time and a place for it. And Steve Alzati gives the ball away. Bang, we're 1-0 down undeserved. And then for the, the third goal, obviously, <laughs> it takes a huge deflection off Adam Webster. And that's another one where you think, if those two little events don't happen, we've picked up a a point from a side that will probably be up there with Liverpool mm. and City. Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong, I think Chelsea are a work in progress and I think they looked very ordinary and I was watching Kai Havertz purely for fantasy football reasons and watching him spoon a pass out from, <laughs> from his own half wasn't great. But yeah, I think I've been impressed by Brighton. Obviously, we've always got this kind of mini grudge with Brighton because of the sort of championship season where it was touch and go for a long time. Um, but I very much see Brighton as a team who... They sacked Hewton, and I know he divided opinion amongst the Brighton fans. 
Um, but there seems to be a real long-term plan at Brighton to change the uh, the sort of the mentality, the structure, the way you play football. Um, is this going into the season, the Brighton fans looking at this as another sort of transition season, or are you looking to kind of do something a bit more this time? I think it's interesting you say that, you know, we're looking to change our structure and stuff because last summer, um, basically just after they appointed Potter, Tony Bloom, the chairman, came out and said, right, we've got this long-term plan. We want to become an established top 10 Premier League side. And obviously that was part of the thinking behind getting rid of Hewton because there's only so far you can go playing mm-hmm. defensive football, trying to nick a one there. It will keep you up. But at what point then do you say, right, we need to you know, push on because it's, it's unsustainable in the long term. And, you know, getting rid of Hewton was harsh and it was a huge gamble because you've seen so many clubs sack a manager for mm. not playing attacking football and then it all goes pear-shaped for them. Uh, for us, it, you know, it's worked out because we, we did improve last season. We got our record Premier League points haul um, and we were... At one point, it did look like we were going to get dragged in. And then what happened is, you know, there was lockdown. We Before that, we'd won two games in 19. And then in uh, in these three months off, Potter obviously went away, looked at what worked, what didn't work, came back. And to be fair, he adjusted his approach. We had less possession once we came back in June, we, but we did more with it. And, you know, yeah. we, we ended up seven points clear of the relegation zone. If you had have said that in February, then... When we just lost one nil at home to Palace, and you, you know, you would have been locked up in an asylum. It would have seemed <laughs> completely insane. So, yeah, we're moving in the in the right direction, and obviously, it's not something that happens overnight. The Premier League's so tough, and you have to spend so much money to to even break into the top ten. And you might have one good season like Burnley, and then drop back down to to fighting relegation. It feels good to gift. So give your dad the One for All gift card this Father's Day and let him choose the gift he wants. With 100-plus brands to choose from and zero fees, there's no need to play the guessing game to show your appreciation. You know he'll get the gift he wants, and making his day will make your day. Gifting feels good with the One for All gift card. Available in-store and at giftcards.com. See giftcards.com for terms and conditions. Again, and that's not what Brighton are looking to do they're looking to make that top 10 and then basically become established in. and I think for this season it's just it's not really a transition season but it's a season where you expect to see progress so we need to mm-hmm. finish above 15th we need to get more than 41 points and ideally we need to score more goals because that's what's holding us back yeah it's interesting you mentioned goals um because we were gonna I was going to get to this later, but it's a nice little segue into that. Um, <clears throat> Newcastle have actually never beaten Brighton since we came up to the Premier League. Um, you guys beat us twice in a row in the FA Cup in games that I'm still annoyed about to this day because I mean, Shola Ramiobi got sent off for a reason he shouldn't have. Um, then obviously the Championship, well, it was a great season for both of us. Um, obviously, we one of those had to end up on top and thankfully it was us. But since we've come to the Premier League, reading the fixtures back in reverse order, um, we have 0-0, 0-0, 1-1, 1-0 to Brighton, 0-0, and then 1-0 to Brighton. So this is actually statistically the worst game in Premier League history because it's the only game, and I mentioned this before we've come on, uh, that averages less than a goal a game in a long, in a, as a sort of long-term Premier League fixture. Um, do you think there's any reason for that? I mean, I can vouch for Newcastle, but is there any reason why Brighton just can't score goals? <laughs> I think sort of the first two seasons when we came to St. James's, that was just 
yeah, classic Chris shooting away performance, mm-hmm. get the clean sheet, and if we can nick a goal, fantastic. And we were good at doing that, to be fair. You know, Duncan Duffy, the two centre-backs, not many teams who are outside the top six had an easy day against them. So mm-hmm. that explains why there was, you know, I did enjoy, uh, all over the place. I did enjoy Werner's comment about that as well when he... They were saying, how was your debut in the Premier League? And he said, oh, I've never played against such massive defenders in my life. <laughs> I mean, your left-back burn, he's got to be the tallest left-back in the world. He's like nine foot, <laughs> making yeah. overlapping runs down the wing. Uh, yeah, and, like, that's just, that's a classic thing that, I think I'm digressing a bit here, but that's a classic thing <laughs> that, that Graham Potter does, is that he picks players that you wouldn't think should be filling that position. Like, who on earth thinks this is a good idea? Right, we've got this bloke who's taller than the shard, let's... Stick him as a roving left wing back is just insane. Yeah, I do, I do enjoy it. It's, it's always commented on by the commentators, which is the only reason I've noticed it. Scott, <laughs> he has burned making an overlapping run, and you can hear, you can feel the vibrations in the in like the atmosphere when he's making a run. I think it's great. Um, I was going to get on to the other fullback. Um, I think it's is it Tariq Clampty. Um, yeah, Chelsea, yeah, yeah uh, Ladu. As far as I'm aware, he's still a Chelsea player officially. Is that right, or have you signed him permanently now? No, we we bought him. Um, right. What happened was, um, he was set to join Lille. I think it was in France. Signed a free contract agreement in January because he was out of contract this summer. Um, didn't want to stay at Chelsea because he saw Azpilicueta and Reese James ahead of him, and yeah, fair enough. obviously a few years ago players would have just been happy to pick up the millions and sit on the bench. But since um, Sancho went to Dortmund, I think that's a lot of young players are now looking and thinking, Christ, if I'm a bit brave here, my career can take off in a, in a big way. Um, so, yeah, we swooped in and managed to pick him up for £4 million. Obviously, there's a, a lot of um, clauses involved in that, you know, progression dependent, which he's obviously going to fulfil because he's he's looked absolutely class for us. Mm-hmm. And it's... Yeah, it's a an outstanding piece of business. Chelsea didn't want to lose him, but obviously it was a case of let him go for free or pick up a, a token amount effectively for a player that good, but at least they got something for him. Mm. Um, yeah, he's already made his England under-21 debut, and it, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if... There's a lot of good right-backs in England, but it wouldn't be a surprise if he was you know, a sort of a dark horse to make it into the Euro 2020 squad in 2021. Yeah, um, yeah, it's... Weird with the left, the right back position. It seems like England don't have any left backs, and we have about nine hundred right backs who are all class. Yeah, who um, don't get into any other international yeah, team in the world. Probably. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? But yeah, I really like the look of that Lamptey. I think he, he seen obviously every single fullback now has to have the ability to bomb forward, put crosses in, do this, that, and the other. But he just seems to have the balance about him. He just looks like a. Re- it sounds really basic to say this, but he just looks like a really good footballer. And you can just tell straight away when you watch someone. And he was making runs against Chelsea, just bombing in, getting inside the fullbacks and things. And I just thought, yeah, you know you've got a class act on your hand there. Yeah. And one thing I was going to get to is um, sort of in, in terms of the game itself, I think it's potentially going to be a battle of the fullbacks because I think watching you against Chelsea, and obviously this isn't a indicative of your whole season, clearly, but a lot of your joy was with him bombing down the right-hand side um, and trying to sort of get in between the lines. And we've obviously got our new fullback now, um, Lewis, who looks like the real deal as well. Another sort of young player in the... Um, you know, he's a full international for Northern Ireland himself now. And I think the the game could well be won or lost based on those two guys, who gets the better of the other. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right because... I like Lewis as well. I think if 
you know, if we were in the market for a left back, then he would have been someone Brighton should have gone for. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about the way we started playing this season is that last season we were very much, you know, it was four two two two. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> it was it was very very narrow, and we we never used width, which kind of explains why Murray didn't play much and why we've effectively let him go. This season we switched to a back three which is pretty much to accommodate Ben White to fit him in somewhere. Yeah, um, well. So now we've got Lamptey playing as a right wing back, Solly March on the other side, who was also um, very, very impressive against against Chelsea. And we're delivering crosses into the box. And uh, it's another baffling thing that we're doing that. We've got rid of Murray. Marpis, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I, I don't know if you saw, but like, Lamptey put in a fantastic ball in the first half against Chelsea. All more, all more play's got to do is, you know, get a header on target and it just hits him in the shoulder going out of play. You just think, <laughs> if we had a striker who could head a ball, we'd be laughing here. Well, it's a similar issue to what Newcastle have had because just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any more batshit crazy, Newcastle's leading striker has scored a goal. <laughs> and that's kind of the, you know, it's been talked about to death, but, you know, we've needed a striker for God knows how long. We never really replaced sort of and Bar. We obviously did it in the championship, but at a Premier League level, we've never had that quality striker. So presumably you must have looked at Newcastle signing Wilson and thought that would have been, I know he's obviously on the South Coast. I don't know if you and Bournemouth the rivals, but presumably um, you must have looked at that sort of signing and go, that's the sort of player we should have made a move for because I haven't seen Brighton do a lot in the transfer window. Yeah, I mean, Wilson is the perfect example of who we should have gone for. He, It's not just the fact that we need a striker who can head a ball who's a little bit different to what we've got. It's the fact that we've only got two strikers. If there's an injury or a suspension, we're down to one. If it happens to both of them at the same time, then we we don't have anyone we can play. And that's a a huge problem because goals obviously keep you up. The interesting thing about Wilson, actually, is that when he moved from Coventry to Bournemouth in, I think it was 2014, we were very interested in him then as a replacement for Leonardo Hujo, who went to Leicester. But our head of recruitment at the time was a bloke called David Burke, which was quite an apt name, really, because <laughs> he decided that he'd rather go and sign Chris O'Grady for a couple of million pounds, and now he's who? paying for Chesterfield <laughs> or someone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I have no idea who that is. That says a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it is difficult, isn't it? And I think Brighton on the whole do seem to have recruited OK, but then you see these players on the team sheet like that Jahan Kabash, I probably said that, butchered that name, and Alzati and people, and, and Trossard and Gross, and I know they're okay players, but I just never remember anything they do, and it seems like Brighton are just one or two players away, like very, very good players away from doing what they want to do, and they just seem to have lots of average, talented footballers, and I think they just need that big player. Yeah, um, and that, that comes in part from our sort of transfer strategy, because we're always... You know, we're, we're always looking to sign bargains from abroad. And when you do that, like probably 75% of them aren't going to work out. Well, we can so, vouch for that as Newcastle fans as well, because it's yeah. <laughs> a bargain basement. Some of them work out and then they get sold to Arsenal or um, Liverpool or whatever. And then the other ones are awful, like Henri Savé, who's still sat in our squad every year and <laughs> getting pitches taken. So it's, it, yeah, it is, it is difficult. But I mean, Newcastle seem to have changed trans- transfer strategy this year, signing proven Premier League players. Um, are Brighton ever likely to do that? Or do you think that's the formula now and it's going to work? I wish we would, but you know, I can't I can't see it happening because we 
last summer we did have a sort of a change of approach in that we went for players who were championship players. So we we basically tried to sign like well, Pye was I think top scorer in the championship. We bought Adam Webster, who was probably the best defender in the championship at Bristol City, and that I think that was a more successful strategy mm-hmm. for us than you know taking a, a punt on players from abroad who you you never know if they're going to take to the English game or not. The Lallana signing is interesting because yeah, that he's probably hasn't helped. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's the the key thing there is if you get him fit, he's a hell of a player for us because he fits yeah. in the way we want to play. It feels good to gift. So give your dad the one for all gift card this Father's Day and let him choose the gift he wants. With 100 plus brands to choose from and zero fees, there's no need to play the guessing game to show your appreciation. You know he'll get the gift he wants and making his day will make your day. Gifting feels good with the one for all gift card. Available in store and at giftcards.com. See giftcards.com for terms and conditions. Um, but then the like that's the golden question: Is it will he ever be fit? Because he's he struggled for two, three years now. I suppose the the flip side of him ever if he doesn't get fit is that we've given him a three year contract, and you know that was very much tied into we want you to finish your career here. When you finish your career, we've got a coaching role for you, like a leadership position and all that. So it's quite interesting, and I think that fits in against what we were saying earlier about the long term planning. Things, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, Lalana's on, on the footballing side as well. He's one of those players where if he does just get a five or six get run of games in the season, he can win you three or four of those games quite easily because he is a good footballer. And we've heard Jurgen Klopp say how you know he would have had him in his team most weeks if he just could get fit. And obviously we've had, we've got similar thing with Andy Carroll where we signed him purely on the basis. Well, people thought it was a market employee, but I think we've seen that he can still do a job at this level. But we knew he, you know his knees are made of glass, and that we we might only get two or three games from him a season. Um, but we've seen him make an impact. So I think those signings are still important. Um, onto we've obviously touched on the game and the battle at fullback and things like that. Um, presumably this is essentially going to be a battle of. Brighton keeping the ball, trying not to concede on the counter-attack. I mean, that's the only way I can see this game going is you just having 60-70% of the ball and then we maybe have two or three chances on the break. Um, from the outside, I suspect that's what you think of Newcastle as well, that we're just a, a counter-attacking team. Yeah, I've, I think you sort of... I, I don't know how this is going to go down, but... No, um, it's all right. <laughs> I, I, quite, I quite like Steve Bruce and I think that he, he basically works well with what you've got. Can see the dislikes coming in already. <laughs> nah, well, just I'll I'll put it this way: he divides opinion. He there's been some people in the media saying that he's won over Newcastle fans. He obviously has won over some, but the lion's share of Newcastle fans are still unconvinced. We think he's done okay, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, some of us hate him. I'm a bit more reasonable. I don't really like him. He seems like an all right bloke, and he's a sort of standard. Mike Bassett type manager, isn't he? He's all right. Um, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, sorry. I think that's the that's the thing with him, isn't it? Like, as long as you've got Steve Bruce, I don't think you're likely to get dragged into trouble, especially with the signings you've made. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, a club the the size of Newcastle and with the potential it's got, should they be aiming a little bit higher and you know, looking at sort yeah. of what Wolves and Everton do and thinking that should be us challenging for not Champions League because I think that's you. You need a head of a lot of money to do that, but why not? You know, top six, top eight. 
Yeah, and that's it at the end of the day. Obviously, it's been, again, talked about to death, but, you know, there's this uh, impression Newcastle fans that we expect this to happen. It's like, well, no, we, we, we just know we're better than we are currently. And we just want to be a team that actually competes in the Premier League every year. And like you say, we shouldn't be in a position where we're hoping we don't get dragged into trouble. That should never be in, in the back of our mind as Newcastle fans. We should be doing our absolute best to be the best we can be. And we haven't done that for, well, however long that Mike Ashley's been here, 14, 15 years, whatever it is at this point. Yeah. So it's it's immensely frustrating and very deflating. And the past couple of seasons have been difficult I mean, obviously, relatively speaking, we're not like Bury. We could be a lot worse. We could be completely bust, whatever. But it is very deflating to sort of have no ambition that you're going to win a cup, that you're going to do anything. Um, so even though sort of position-wise, Brighton and Newcastle are probably in a similar position in the league, you can almost envy Brighton in that they are actually doing the best they can, whereas there's always this thing with Newcastle where it's like, you know, it would have been so easy if we just invested in Benitez, <laughs> which we yeah. always go back to, but that would have that would have been... 10th every year at least so it is immensely frustrating and uh, I think the style of football under Bruce I, I still don't think he quite knows what he wants to do with the team but he's made good signings and he's managed to make Ashley break into his wallet and dust off the cobwebs so uh, yeah I can very much see it being Brighton keeping the ball and I can't see us controlling any sort of large parts of the game but I also think that we are still good defensively and I think it will be another sort of cancelling each other out type affair. And I think the only way we're really going to score is if we manage to do what we did against West Ham, which is break, get a chance for Wilson, see if he can put it away. Or like what happened in your first game, you might just decide to pass us the ball and that yeah. in your box. <laughs> That's <laughs> so what I was going to say. It's difficult like, one to predict, um, isn't it? Yeah. For all the all the keeping the ball we do, you know, we're not uh, Manchester City or Liverpool where... We, we are just going to keep it. There will be, at some point, a cock-up, and it's up to Newcastle to take advantage of it. I mean, when we came to St. James's last year, I think it was the same weekend that City beat someone 6-0 at home, Watford or something it might have been, and we had more possession at St. James's in the 0-0 draw than City had against Watford, but we couldn't score, which is just an absolutely phenomenal stat. I mean, it, it does it does sound like, and all the statistics point to it, that it is going to be a rubbish game. <laughs> like, it's just the way it is. I'd, I'd love for it to be proven wrong, but you can just picture the Sky Sports pundits saying, we've got nothing to talk about here. Let's just talk about the title race or something. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, st in terms of the possession, Brighton were up there last season and, and less so after the restart. We were bottom of basically every attacking stat going. So um, people watching might think I'm being really pessimistic because we were good against West Ham, don't get us wrong. We looked a lot better. But it is one game and I'd be interested to see whether Fraser comes in, whether Almiron starts. We actually have some options now. So I think we'll do better than we have done in the past against Brighton. Um, I do fancy us to create some chances. And now we have someone like Wilson. You you have that confidence that he's actually going to put the ball in the goal. Whereas whenever Joe Linton had the ball, you basically just feel like, well, I'm just waiting for this to hit the side net and or spoon over the bar. Or he's just going to fall over the ball or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm going to ask you to put a, a score prediction on it. Um, and I think I'm, I think I'm going to go first and just follow the average, which is nil-nil, but I can't, I can't predict a nil-nil. Um, I'm going to say you're going to do a Brighton and struggle to score and we'll sneak it with a one-niller. Um, I was going to go for a nil-nil too, but now you've made a prediction. <laughs> We can't have um, a 21-minute video and end with it being a nil-nil cover. <laughs> That's awful. Um, okay, I'll go for one all then. We'll somehow find a way to score and we'll also give the ball away. And 
allow you to grab one and it will probably be Callum Wilson. Right. I think that's uh, that's as good a prediction as any. I mean, I said 1-0 at West Ham, so I think I, I'm doing pretty well so far. 100% record, so let's see if I can keep that going. Um, but yeah, that's probably about it. Um, thanks, Scott, once again for coming on. Um, all Thank the you. best for the rest of the season. Yeah, you too. Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler General Registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General Registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.